Hello everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when The Office actually ended, because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host, and with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hey everyone. Today we will be discussing Season 5, Episode 11, Moroccan Christmas. In this episode, Phyllis throws her weight around, Dwight corners the toy market, and Meredith sets herself on fire. We begin this episode with a cold open featuring one of Jim's pranks, and it's the first one we've seen in a while. It seems like it's been a while since Jim has played a, pra- played a prank on Dwight. Yeah, that's true. And in keeping with the Christmas spirit, Jim has gift-wrapped everything that is on Dwight's desk, including the desk itself and his office chair. When Dwight comes in and sees that everything is wrapped up, he mocks Jim saying, it's going to take me 10 minutes to rip this apart, and it probably took you three hours to do this. Jim is just like, no, I think it's going to take you a little bit longer than that. And Dwight goes to sit down in the chair and goes to put his briefcase on the desk and then everything collapses so i guess it was like cardboard kind of yeah made to look like the like the computer or the keyboard or different things that were on dwight's desk so then it makes me think where is the desk i guess it's probably it's kind of like when and i can't remember if we've had this cold open or not or if it's one that's going to be upcoming when jim moves the desk to the bathroom off the bat as we get into the main part of the episode i will say it's not a very good one this just isn't a great episode and sometimes this will happen with party episodes where it's sort of like a camera flashing check-in with a lot of different people and there's not necessarily comprehensive storylines and that's not necessarily what makes this episode a not great one it's pretty bad because it's not very funny and the subject matter is just not a funny subject matter for the most part and then it just is handled in an awkward way the office is an awkward show but It just doesn't have sometimes that delicate touch with some of the more serious topics. So let's dive in. Uh, We'll stop talking in generalities. Off the top, it's the office Christmas party. And Phyllis, as the head of the party planning committee still, has planned a Moroccan-themed Christmas. So it's not like any other Christmas party that we have ever seen. We don't have the bright reds and greens. And it's very much in the spirit not that i've ever been to morocco but very much in the spirit of the pop culture representation of morocco i do agree with you in that this episode is a little odd uh one thing i was noticing as we watched this is that there seemed to be a lot more one-on-ones with people and so i think that kind of maybe just serves as time filler uh to kind of you know paint over the gaps of there being kind of a lack of really anything going on in this episode. That's a good point. And another thing that was very confusing for me during this episode is that in previous episodes with the Christmas parties or parties in general, there seems to be like a, okay, we're going to be done working at three o'clock, four o'clock, party starts, 
and that's the end of the day. Right. In this episode, it very much seems as though the party is going on while people are working. Yes, it's really hard to tell a timeline. There's, like you said, there's not a, okay, everyone's looking forward to this part of the day and the party's going to start. And it does seem to be almost from like noon onwards. (laughs) And as with most Dunder Mifflin parties, there is an open bar. Not most parties, I should say Christmas parties. There is drinking happening at the party and Michael is fancying himself to be the bartender for most of the time it seems. And one person who is taking full advantage of the party happening basically from the middle of the day on is Meredith. As we know Meredith is a bit of a drinker. Uh, She enjoys her alcohol and she hits the bar and Michael has created a drink that sounds absolutely atrocious. I was going to say that. It sounds disgusting. It, he calls it a one of everything, and it is because he essentially took just a little bit of every single bottle that is on the bar and mixed it in this drink and then added two packets of Splenda. I just can't imagine light and dark liquors mixing well, nor different types of dark liquors. Yeah. Like, you don't, in my opinion, want to mix a triple sec with rum with whiskey. Yeah, yeah. He start. I mean, the first two two things he says is whiskey and gin, and that's uh, bad. Yeah, no, 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 no. But Meredith downs it, says it's delicious, and she will keep coming back for more throughout this episode. And these are, so it's not a full like red solo cup it's like the half cup what michael is giving out from the bar is not a it's not a full solo cup so what do we think that's probably eight ounce solo cup it's the half version which i have to assume are about four ounces and meredith just takes these four ounces like a shot and so if michael we assume is pretty much filling up this four ounce cup with his around the world one of everything drink and then she keeps going back, that's quite a bit of hard alcohol in a short amount of time. This, of course, has an adverse effect on Meredith, and she is getting more and more drunk as the day is going along. And at one point, we see her just kind of dancing on her own (laughs) in the conference room when all of a sudden her hair catches on fire. Now, I don't recall seeing an open flame anywhere in there. There were. There were candles on the bar. So Phyllis has taken this theme extremely seriously to the point where, yes, she has open candles burning and in the sense of they're not in a uh, glass jar or anything. They're just open flames. And that's what, as Meredith leans forward, as she's sort of just dancing, if you imagine, if you've seen anyone dance drunk, that's exactly how Meredith is dancing, because there is Moroccan music playing. Is that a sitar? Is that that instrument? Yes. So, yeah, general, like, sitar music is playing, and no one else is in the conference room, because as with most of the Christmas parties, The Christmas party is everywhere. It's not in one uh, set location in the office. Now, thankfully, 
people were paying attention or watching her. She wasn't seemingly on fire uh, for very long. And Dwight came in rather quickly, thankfully, with a fire extinguisher and was able to put out the blaze. But any bit of fire to your hair is going to damage your hair. And I'm surprised they didn't uh, try to incorporate this into the storyline. But the smell of burnt hair is really, really unpleasant. Mm -hmm. So, yes, Dwight puts out Meredith's hair. And the next thing we see is Jim, Oscar, Michael, Stanley, all kind of gathering at the reception area to figure out when the best time is to hold an intervention for Meredith. This is such a bizarre scene, and I think it's what, for me, adds a little bit to the detraction of how they're handling the subject matter. Yeah, this is yeah, this is where the episode kind of takes that left turn. Because it appears, so this is definitely prior to the Christmas holiday. This is just the office's... Christmas party, and you have to assume, I don't know if they shut down or if a lot of people take off, as is kind of typical, in the time frame between Christmas and New Year's. And so the first date suggested, I believe, by either Jim or Oscar is January 5th, so probably the first Monday that they're coming back into the office. And Michael says, oh, I can't do it. I have a monthly dentist appointment. So rather than looking to you know, the next day or something. Although I can't even imagine a dentist appointment is taking all day. Jim says, okay, well, what about February 2nd? That's Groundhog Day, which is apparently a big holiday for Michael. He says he prefers to celebrate that privately and does not want to do it on that day. So Michael's left to conclude that the best time is now in the middle of the party in they're going to take some time to quickly do the intervention and then they can get back to the party, which probably not how an intervention would actually work. I can't remember if that show intervention would have been taking place around this time or would have been maybe a couple years later. I believe it would have. It was. Um, and speaking of those shows, Michael is getting his uh, A&E or whatever channel that show ended up being on yeah he's getting those shows his a and e shows confused because he thinks an intervention is kind of like scared straight yes exactly he is picturing this as everybody basically just yelling at meredith until she changes her alcoholism which is not exactly how that works no not at all how that works and he says uh, the intervention is also somewhat like a surprise party in which, yes, you just make the person feel really bad about themselves until they stop. So he makes everyone sit in a circle uh, and go around and state, first of all, who thinks Meredith is an alcoholic, which is, I don't know, like kind of problematic. As Toby points out, and I, I don't know if this is, completely accurate toby points out that they can't talk about her drinking they can only talk about her work performance i feel that it is inaccurate in that they probably can't just sit around and talk about her work performance either well right and the problem with 
I guess Toby's stance is Meredith has already gotten so hammered at a work event in the workplace that she has lit her hair on fire. And we know it's not the first time that she has been drinking at work. So that's where the line is now blurred. Her personal life is becoming her work life because she's bringing it into the office. Michael has no idea how to run an intervention, obviously. We could have seen that coming from a mile away. And he has found kind of just a yes or no series of questions about drinking from clearly a Church of Latter-day Saints website that he's going through. And a lot of the questions there are more about just drinking in general because Mormons don't drink. And so Meredith is answering yes to a lot of these questions, but so is Kevin as he's kind of going along with the intervention. Next, Michael moves on to the portion of an intervention that actually exists. He wants everyone to state a way in which Meredith's drinking affected their lives. Michael kicks this off, and in very typical Michael fashion, he makes it about himself. He says that Meredith's drinking is forcing them to do this intervention rather than enjoying this party, which he says is the best party, that Christmas party he has ever been to. Right. But after that, nobody really has anything to add because in a regular intervention, you are generally dealing with people's family and close friends and that hey your drug use your alcohol abuse whatever affected me this way you can't do the things around the house that i need you to do to help me run this household you forgot to pick me up at soccer practice one time because you were too drunk like things of that nature these people do not have a close relationship with Meredith and so really Meredith's drinking which generally occurs on her own private time of course is not going to affect her co-workers at all right and the problem is at least from the standpoint of Michael calling this intervention Meredith does not believe she has a drinking problem and that's where again for this episode This is kind of a long continuing storyline throughout this whole episode, but there's no like laughs because we know that Meredith has a drinking problem. We have seen it and she has said it in previous episodes. In the boys and girls uh, episode from season two, she says that her five-year goal is to be five years sober. So at a certain point, she maybe sought help from some sort of either alcohol anonymous group rehab something to that effect and was trying to make that happen and then has fallen off that wagon and now does not feel that there is a problem and she says I don't have a problem admitting I have an addiction but I have an addiction to porn and that again is supposed to land I think as funny but it doesn't because that's a another real addiction yeah Eventually, everybody pretty much gives up on the intervention and they start to leave to go back to work, back to enjoying the party. But Michael is not satisfied 
And he now kind of takes this on personally to get Meredith help. And, of course, he does it in just the most improper of ways. At one point, we see he and Meredith getting ready to leave. And we find out that Michael has invited Meredith to join him to check out a bar somewhere. And, of course, Meredith is all about that. And when they pass poor Richards, Meredith starts to question as to where they are going. And she names off pretty much every bar in Scranton. And Michael's like, nope, we're not going to any of those. And it turns out they are going to a rehab facility. As soon as Meredith realizes where they're at, she starts off by refusing to get out of the car. Michael has the keys, so he's able to unlock the door and get her out. Then she tries to run away. Michael kind of tackles her (laughs) almost and then drags her by her arms into the rehabilitation center and tries to just say, I have a deposit, like where do I sign to leave her here? Then with a one-on-one to the camera, Michael says, as it turns out, you can't check someone into rehab against their will, particularly if you don't have any sort of connection or relationship to that person. So for example, you can check in, I believe you could check in your child to rehab your minor child. Uh, You can get someone involuntarily committed to like a psychiatric hospital. But for the most part, in order to go to a drug or alcohol rehabilitation center, it pretty much has to be voluntary. Or court-ordered. Sure. Good point. Or court-ordered. Like, you would need to get to that place, partly because in sort of a real-world scenario, these places are crazy expensive. Insurance doesn't cover most of that, and a lot of it is, like, it's just a big for-profit business sector and unfortunately there is a lot of like a conveyor belt system but you do need to get someone on the hook for payment for these things and kind of the first step in you know changing uh, an addiction problem or or something along those lines is actually wanting to do it and so if you are forcefully made to go there you're probably just wasting everybody's time and they are again like you said they're voluntary places so you can just leave after day one very much so i mean you don't have to stay at all and so i think and i don't know if it's a time relic so this was this first aired in 2008 so it's been 12 years now and maybe it's just Okay, we know a little bit more about addiction and alcoholism and how that works within the brain. Now, there are still people out there that are very much like, well, it's a choice and personal responsibility. And not that that's not part of it to some extent. However, the brain is rewired in such a way that it's not that's no longer a personal choice and i think that's why it's really hard to see this intervention and like oh someone got so hammered at a work party that they felt the need to do that i i will say i guess if 
if Meredith got hammered and lit her hair on fire and then they continued on with the party, maybe that would have been funnier in a way, like if they had another bit of the storyline to to make this the central storyline to the Christmas episode just really doesn't work. Yeah, this kind of seems like it, it could have been uh, a way to get Meredith off the show for a little bit, like for whatever reason, like in the same way that Pam went to New York in the show because in real life she was shooting a couple movies so she couldn't be on set all the time. That's not what happened with Meredith, but like in the, it's almost like this could have been used as a transition for that. Like that could have happened at the end of an episode and be like, well, Meredith had to go to rehab because of her drinking problem and you don't have this weird episode. But we do have this weird episode because Meredith doesn't leave the show. I would say that Dwight's reaction to the entire intervention sort of falls into that mindset of personal responsibility. He says that he doesn't believe in anything of the type and that the Shroot family has a five-fingered sort of intervention and that fifth step involves punching. So Dwight's not one for touchy-feeliness in any way, shape, or form, and he doesn't also doesn't believe in getting involved in people's personal decisions, and so he very much sees this as a personal decision, whereas Michael, taking the mindset that the entire office is just one big family, sees someone in crisis, and so is going to make it his mission to help. And because he can't involuntarily check her in, he realizes that Meredith might have a little bit to go to reach sort of a rock bottom or so, or a, you know, reflection point and says he's going to make it his mission to get her there, which is also kind of a concerning statement. Extremely unhealthy, yes. Y- yeah. So if Meredith is on the extreme end of enjoying the party... Angela is on the extreme end of not enjoying the party. And there are many reasons for this. Most of which is she is being put to work by Phyllis. As we said, Phyllis is the one that planned this party. She is the head of the party planning committee. This is her first Christmas party in that role. So she is going all out. And it is basically being left to Angela to make sure that Phyllis's vision is kind of carried out, much in the way that Angela would do to Phyllis when Angela was the head of the party planning committee. Phyllis is taking full advantage of knowing Angela's secret and making sure that Angela knows that anything that Phyllis requires for this party must be done and there's no questioning No pushback, nothing. Phyllis says she doesn't believe that it's blackmail because it would have to be in writing for it to be blackmail, but she knows what she's doing as far as getting her way with how this party is going. And Phyllis throws pretty good parties. Michael has said that Toby's going away party and now the Christmas party are some of the best parties that he's ever attended with the office. And part of it's because Angela isn't fun and doesn't, and really has very strict guidelines for what particularly the Christmas party can actually be. So she hates the Moroccan Christmas theme. 
Now, Phyllis does take some things to the extreme. For instance, Angela has like a nativity set on her desk and Phyllis tells her that when the party starts, she cannot have that out because it's not on theme. That's a little extreme. Those are, you know, personal decorations. There's a camel and an elephant that the wise men are on. So Phyllis allows those to stay out, but everything else she just shoves into a drawer. Phyllis also makes Angela take down the Christmas tree that is in the conference room, again, because it is not in the theme of Moroccan Christmas. As the office gets into the intervention portion, Phyllis says that it looks like they are going to be there a while, so she makes Angela to make a hummus platter, essentially, with hummus and then pita triangles. Back to what you said, though, about Phyllis kind of taking this to the extremes. It should be pointed out here, though, that Angela is also making it a personal choice to not enjoy this Christmas party because of her belief system. Like, she thinks that Christmas can't be inferred upon. She's very much a war on Christmas person. She is a believer (laughs) in the war on Christmas. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, since, since this is not you know, little drummer boy, traditional Christmas music, birth of Jesus, celebration of the birth of Jesus Christmas, it is absolutely abhorrent to her. Yeah. There is one point where her, Stanley, and Phyllis are in the conference room just kind of grazing at the food table that is there. And Phyllis is talking to Stanley, who is enjoying some kind of cookie, and Phyllis says that this is something that they would enjoy on Ramadan. Mm-hmm. And Angela is eating the same cookie. And when she hears this, she spits the cookie out into a napkin and throws it away as if it is blasphemy for her to be enjoying something that is not just Christian related. Right. And so as the party is wrapping up, Phyllis has one more job for Angela and that is to put the Christmas tree back up and Angela says that it is outside and Phyllis says I didn't ask you where it was I just told you to do it and Angela has had enough at this point and she calls Phyllis's bluff she says I'm not going to do it because you are holding this thing over me that I know you aren't going to say or do anything about and She walks off and Phyllis kind of very briefly gets into that humbled mode that she once had underneath Angela's leadership. And Phyllis starts to walk out to get the tree herself and turns around and announces to the office that Dwight is having an affair with Angela. Angela is pretty horrified that Phyllis actually revealed the secret. Dwight is sitting right there and is quite smug and says, well, why are any of you surprised? And pretty much everyone has heard this. Meredith and Michael are off on their excursion, but pretty much everyone else is there. Now, the only person that is not there that was not in the vicinity of either the conference room or just the open office plan was Andy. And that's because he's been in the break area working on the sitar. And people have probably sort of banished him there because he kept 
playing it and just strumming it and trying different different chords out and it was getting annoying so he has absolutely no idea everyone else is pretty horrified that this is now another way that this christmas party is going then andy comes into the main part of the office area and says i think i finally learned it this is for my bride angela no matter what the cultural milieu around we still will have christmas and he plays her deck the halls and everyone is just sort of horrified and staring and like oh my god this he has no idea Andy sort of can't understand why no one is clapping for his rendition of Deck the Halls and just really is not reading the room. And then Angela says that she wants to go home. So they leave and everyone else is just left to sort of stare and figure out what to do. And that's where the the episode ends. Dwight's terribleness does not stop with his affair with Angela He is also taking advantage of just the consumerism that comes along with the Christmas season. He says that every year he does research and he finds out what the hit toy is going to be for that year. And then he goes out and he buys it up and just waits to take advantage of the parents that wait until the very last minute to get their kid something for Christmas. And so we see him throughout this episode making deals with just random people and he is selling these dolls at seemingly a very large markup. It's unclear how he has advertised that he has purchased pretty much all these princess unicorn dolls from all the stores in Scranton because, okay, it's 2008, I guess he could do this over facebook or something yeah um but yeah there's not twitter there's not apps or anything else like that it would i guess it would definitely have to be facebook and and it's weird because just random men are just coming into the office just looking to buy this doll and dwight definitely had a stack full and it seems like he's only accepting cash and this is before online shopping, too, and before, you know, eBay's a thing, but it might not really have been taken off, and then depending on when you need this item by. Daryl is the one to purchase the last of the Princess Unicorn dolls, and unfortunately for Toby, he's already made a call to his daughter and just trying to plant the seed that he's going to get her one before he's even inquired with Dwight if there's still a doll available. And I think this is where we run into another just joke that falls very flat. Yeah. Toby ends up just begging Daryl for this doll. And Daryl's just like, all right, man, that's fine. Like, you can have it. And he says that he'll sell it to him for $400. And Toby's like, I only have two. Daryl's like, okay, you'll owe me. And Toby is just ecstatic that he is finally going to get this doll Daryl hands the doll over to him, and the doll is black. And so we see this hesitancy in Toby of just like, okay, what did I get myself into by getting this doll? Yeah, which it doesn't really matter. (laughs) And Daryl knew what he was doing, and yeah, it's just a joke that is like, okay. 
Because Daryl says, is there something wrong with the doll? And Toby's response is, no, it's even better than the one I wanted. Which is just a weird, sort of just a weird thing to say. So, yeah, that whole storyline, interesting. There's always typically a toy craze. I mean, lately it's been, like, Playstations or whatever. I don't know. I mean, well, that that's going to be a craze no matter when it comes out. Sure, it coming around Christmas didn't help but i don't really think there's been a big one since like the tickle me elmo uh, furby was after that was it okay. i think furby even came back around i want to re- i want to say like last year it was big again really yeah yeah uh i think it it's it's more diffused because you can't order from anywhere you're not so limited to your local toy store who only has the supply they have and you have to stake out the next shipment or whatever you can just go to maybe a multitude of different websites and so that also diffuses I feel like the toy market in general maybe that's why there's not like a hot new toy or something yeah so that really kind of wraps this episode up let's go to the annex with Antoinette and find out any fun facts about the episode So sometimes Kate Flannery would perform the stunts that happened to Meredith. But in this instance, when her hair catches on fire, that was a stunt woman who performed that scene. And a lot of people agreed with us that this wasn't a very good episode of The Office. And there was an Office fan site that ranked this as the second worst episode of season five. And it did get a lot of mixed reviews when it premiered. Curtis, who gets fired in this episode? Well, we obviously lose Meredith for uh, drinking entirely too much on the job. Which we should say, and I meant to say this in the body of the episode, it's it's definitely like a cultural trope that everyone gets hammered at an office Christmas party. But typically, those events are not on the company premise, on company time. So, yes, the company did supply Meredith with the alcohol, but it is problematic that she is getting drunk to the point of getting her hair caught on fire. And I I agree with you there, but it usually depends on the situation. So if it is kind of your quote-unquote unofficial Christmas party where, you know, it's organized by the coworkers and whatever, and you go somewhere and, you know, you are left to your own devices at that point. You can get as drunk as you want because it's your time. But if it's a situation like this where, like you said, the alcohol is provided by the company, those usually come with the, while there will be alcohol at this yeah, at yeah. this event, it is expected that you will still behave, you know. Within company standards. Sure, sure. You know, we have not had a Christmas party to go to for a little bit uh, just because our jobs don't have them. Yeah. <laughs> Who else gets fired? I think we decided that Michael gets fired here. Yeah. He does because he does exactly what Toby says he can't do, and that is hold an out- intervention for Meredith's alcoholism on company time. It is Meredith's second firing this season. It's her 
seventh overall, and it is Michael's fourth firing this season. It's his 41st overall. And it's further problematic for Michael that he is dragging an employee to a rehab center under false premises. That premise being, I'm going to provide you with the thing that we are trying to get you not to do anymore. Right. What is your Dundee Award? The cultural short-sightedness Dundee goes to Phyllis, who plans Moroccan Christmas, and Morocco is a majority Muslim country. They don't have Christmas there. (laughs) Good point. Uh, I mean, they do. I'm sure people, some people acknowledge Christmas or celebrate Christmas. Most Moroccans are celebrating Ramadan. It reminds me of probably what I think is the worst Christmas song. And there's a lot of them, but this one's really bad. I think I know what you're going to say. Which is, Do you do They Know It's Christmas by Band-Aid, which yeah. Band-Aid was formed for famine relief in Africa. They were, which at the time was really kind of centered in Ethiopia, Somalia, East African countries generally, which... Again, most of those are majority Islamic countries. So, no, they don't know it's Christmas. Right, which is totally fine. Yeah. And there's a line in there, uh, there won't be snow in Africa in Christmas time. It's like, well, yeah, it's a lot of desert. Yeah, so it's of very course, near the equator. Yeah, of course there's not going to be snow, you idiots. Yeah, that is a really awful song. What is your Dundee? My Dundee Award is the person you hope to never encounter at a party. And that goes to Andy for a one-on-one. He decided to give the camera crew soon after the intervention started. And I would say that he is the person that you don't want to encounter when you're in college at a party or when you're an adult at a party. Andy starts out and saying... I used to drink all the time. My nickname in college was puke. I down a fifth of SoCo, go to a frat party, polish off people's empties, get some beers, do some body shots off myself. Like he's the person that's getting, that came out of control, that's getting more out of control. And then he's going to let you know that he's there to have a good time and he's hammered. Yeah. The person that thinks they're cool because they talk about how much they drink is definitely not cool so then andy continues on and saying that it would have been a problem if he had let it affect his grades but he didn't he aced everything they called him ace he also says at some point they called him buzz because he was always buzzed no it's because he got straight b's so he didn't ace he didn't ace he He got got straight b's and they called him buzz that's right he got straight b's and we always we have said time and again that andy is really highly annoying in a lot of ways particularly with the Cornell but this just like solidifies it for me uh and particularly the part where he says that he would have to boot rally and then you know down some more SoCo to go to class I just kept thinking of shades of the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation hearings where I'm like oh this like (laughs) this is like this was a uh, premonition for this, that type of that type cast of a guy, uh, for sure. Who was your employee of the month? I chose Dwight 
uh, because he made a lot of money in this episode, basically. Yeah, it was really hard to pick someone for this episode, another one in which not a lot of, you know, winners. I did choose Phyllis because Angela was trying to call her bluff and she ended up calling Angela's bluff and then just got it off her chest in a way. But Phyllis doesn't come out of this episode like looking great. So that does it for this episode. Please follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod to get all the latest updates. And continue listening to us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you are listening to us. Be sure to rate, subscribe, like wherever you can in order to get our name out there. We appreciate you guys listening to us. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.